Hello and welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, broadcasting from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York. On the unceded homelands of the Mohican people, who are known today as the Stockbridge-Munsee community, I'm Kellen McPherson, filling in for H. Bosch Jr. And I'm Sina Bazilahickey. Today on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, we begin with Mark Dunley's interview with Susan Kotner discussing the Capital District Green Energy Hub. Then roaming labor correspondent Willie Terry brings us a recording of the swearing-in of the new elected officials of Troy. Later on, Triple E's goes into the archives for an interview with the Albany Land Bank. After that, Tanya Matos of the Envision Freedom Fund joins us to talk about Friday's action to demand the release of Miss Q and Darwin from ICE detention. And finally, Bria Barthel heads to the library to bring us some youth book suggestions. But first, here are the headlines. As part of an ongoing effort to hold someone accountable for the deaths of 20 people in the Schoharie limousine crash, the justices at the Appell Division are requiring the various parties to submit papers by the end of January as the operator of the company is appealing the decision of Judge Lynch to toss a no-jail plea deal at the Hussein's attorney negotiated with Schoharie County District uh, Susan Mallory back in 2021. The Times Union reports that New York's response to fentanyl, which is driving the opi- opioid crisis, is not reversing spiking death rates. Drug policy advocates argue that the state has not fully embraced all the tools that could stem death rates and that the current funding f- feeds into the shaky um, healthcare system that has not prioritized the lives of drug users. They say the state has been slow to embrace the concept of harm reduction, which acknowledges that people relapse but provide accessible social and health care services and make sure that they have access to life-saving medication. Groups like Vocal New York particularly cite the lack of funding for safe injection sites. The city of Troy is putting up $300,000 in the hope of obtaining an additional $3 million in state funding to raz the crumbling Sperry Building in South Troy. Once part of the sprawling Burden Ironworks, the city hopes to clear the six-acre site for industrial businesses and new jobs. The Gazette reports that the Schenectady City School District unveiled a tentative $300 million 10-year capital project, which could be on the ballot alongside the 2023 into 2024 school budget on May 16th, although all the funds would come from the state. The average age of the schools uh, of the district's buildings is almost 95. The Troy Record reports that the city of Troy will seek to shut down the long-running adult cinema arts theater on River Street in downtown after state uncovered police officers arrested individuals there for engaging in public sexual activity. The theater was also cited for numerous health violations. And that's it for the headlines. For those just tuning in, you're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, listener-supported radio that builds community in Troy and the surrounding capital region through broad grassroots participation. Our content is produced by volunteers. To learn how you can contribute, go to mediasanctuary.org, email us at hmm at mediasanctuary.org, or call us at 518-272-2390. Our first story is on the $52 million provided to establish 12 regional clean energy hubs. Susan Cotner uh, of the Affordable Housing Partnership 
which will coordinate the energy hub in the capital region, talks with Mark Dunley about the program. We're joined today by uh, Susan Cotner, who's with the uh, Affordable Housing Project, but also they're helping to coordinate uh, something new called the Capital Region uh, Green Energy Hub. Uh, Governor Hochul recently announced uh, $52 million to establish 12 of these regional energy hubs uh, across New York State, part of the implementation of the uh, CLCPA, Climate Law, to transition to 100% uh, clean energy, reduce emissions, and you know, this project in particular is trying to help local residents, especially in disadvantaged communities, uh, to be able to access the various uh, programs that the, particularly the state, but also federal government making available to help people with that transition. Uh, so, so, Susan, why why has uh, your group decided to, to jump in and help coordinate this effort? And can you tell us a little bit about the project? Great. Again, thanks for uh, inviting us on. We are... Uh, you know, we've been working in the affordable housing space for 30, more than 30 years now. And, uh, you know, a big part of housing cost is your energy expense. Uh, and so we've really uh, gotten much more aware of the opportunities uh, for consumers to um, use less energy, uh, save money, and also make their homes a lot more comfortable if they're just much more aware of, of how they're using their electricity. So has the has the program launched? What what exactly is the uh, program doing, and what are some of the you know um, initiatives or government subsidies you're trying to make people aware of? Right. So we're still what we'd call in our soft launch phase. Uh, there's eight uh, groups working here in the capital region. A really strong and um, extensive coalition of organizations, some regional in nature, others very uh, neighborhood specific to uh, low income uh, communities so that we're really getting into, um, you know, reaching the breadth of the capital region from rural areas to urban areas. Uh, at this moment, we're still uh, working to develop our messaging about um, encouraging people to use less energy, but also uh, helping folks access the resources you were just referring to uh, from NYSERDA and the federal government to help reduce energy costs. Now, you mentioned, you know, you know, your program in particular has been doing a lot of work on affordable housing for, 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 for decades. And, you know, one of the problems is, is that, you know, low and moderate income people's, the, the homes they live in or that they own often you know, need need a, a whole lot of repairs. You know, is the funding going to be adequate to really help people, um, you know, fix the roof if they're going to put in insulation and trying to make sure that that, you know, doesn't escape to the ceiling or, you know, these are people in many cases have economic challenges paying their monthly bills. How do we make this all work? Exactly. So that's a, uh, one of the key uh, program areas that we're going to be working on. Uh, we're calling it wraparound services to make sure that, uh, the roof is in good condition. There's no mold in the house because those prevent clean energy projects, insulation work from getting done, just use, as you were suggesting. Uh, so we'll be working. Uh, NYSERDA doesn't offer those types of resources. Uh, so we'll be working to access programs from uh, New York State uh, Homes and Community Renewal, Affordable Housing Corporation, uh, again, targeted to lower income families so that they can uh, upgrade their housing conditions. Uh, and live in a, a clean and healthy home. Now, the, the climate issue, of course, you know, gets into some political uh, debates. And one of the concerns recently, you know, some of the 
gas companies been fighting against the concept that we should not allow, um, you know, gas to continue to hook up into new uh, buildings. And one of the arguments they make, well, you know, maybe air heat pumps, you know, work okay in, in New York City. It's a more urban, a lot of asphalt. Not going to work so well in upstate New York where the temperatures are colder and, you know, homes are not as clustered. You know, are heat pumps, you know, workable in, in the, the northeast of New York? Absolutely, they are. So we, that's one of the, you know, myths we're looking to bust, if you will. Uh, you know, this is a great, um, just the technology and the advances that have occurred uh, so that there are cold climate heat pumps uh, that, that can work in very cold areas uh, to take the heat that's still within that cold air and convert it into energy to, uh, to heat uh, homes. Uh, the beauty of heat pumps is that they're also air conditioning in the summertime. Uh, so it's uh, a, a really terrific uh, effort that's being made uh, to encourage more people when you're ready to change out your heating system to look into these uh, up, you know, yeah, new advances in, uh, in clean heating and cooling. So what what are some of the existing, you know, NYSERDA and state programs, you know, besides, you know, subsidies for heat pumps and I guess ground heat pumps, geothermal, you know, what are some of the other programs you're trying to alert, you know, people to? Right. So our mission is really to primarily focus in on uh, lower income households who are uh, not aware of the programming that is out there and don't, as you mentioned, have the financial resources. So uh, there's a terrific program through NYSERDA that will cover 100% uh, of your cost to insulate your home, upgrade your heating equipment. Uh, if you're uh, eligible for the HEAP Home Energy Assistance Program. Um, so that's basically under 60% of median income. So that's a program we're definitely uh, pushing with families. Again, tenants and homeowners can take advantage of that uh, funding source. Uh, if you're up to 80%, you know, basically more moderate income, there's still some grant funds. But even for market rate people, uh, there's really uh, attractive financing uh, that you can put on your national grid, your utility bill, uh, in order to finance the improvements. And you will save money. The, um, the way the math works, if you will, with these programs is that they want to make sure that you save more money than you'll pay out in any kind of a loan payment. Uh, so again, our job as Energy Hub energy advisors is to help guide people to those programs that they might be eligible for and answer the questions along the way. Now, you, you mentioned earlier that, you know, this program is going to cover eight counties. You have eight partners. I know one of them I've been somewhat involved with, the uh, Capital District Community Energy, which is the group who's trying to spearhead uh, community choice aggregation here in the Capital District. You know, what are some of the other, you know, partner groups and, you know, what are the counties you'll be covering? All right. So we go from Warren, Washington, down to Columbia Green, and then the four counties in between, Saratoga, Schenectady, uh, Albany, and Rensselaer. Uh, Cornell Cooperative Extension, you know, long time history of educating uh, folks and being deep in the communities and rural areas in particular, uh, helping families there. We're really looking at, for example, at helping uh, low-income households who are living in uh, mobile home parks, uh, you know, better insulate their uh, their homes. So that's a targeted area for us. Um, we're working with the Troy Architectural um, Project TAP out of Troy um, and uh, other groups like the SEAT Center, uh, Radix, South End Improvement, um, 
and A Village. Those guys are really interested in helping to um, grow the clean energy workforce, right? They've been working deep in the communities, helping uh, young adults um, with uh, access to these kinds of good paying jobs. And there are a lot of them. <laughs> so that's one of the projects that we'll be working on here initially is growing that clean energy workforce. So we have about uh, 90 seconds left. So we'll give you an opportunity to ask, answer any question I haven't asked, but um, you know, you mentioned you are in a soft launch. This has only recently been formally approved. But, you know, how, how can people get more information about the program and, and what else should they know about it? Yeah, so we've got um, an interim website, if you will, greencapitalregion.org, uh, where you can access information on energy efficiency. You know, how can you reduce your energy, which will be really critically important to do as we transition uh, the uh, that web page also connects you to uh, Solarize Albany, which can get you connected to great community solar uh, projects, and also to the Heat Smart Capital Region um, uh, website that has really in-depth, detailed information on moving to clean energy uh, heating equipment. Um, I think our basic message right now is we all need to be using less energy. Uh, there's a lot of low-cost, no-cost ways to do that. Um, and then, you know, take the next step, you know, get a home energy audit done. We can help you do that. Uh, and then, as I said, when you change out that heating system, really seriously consider moving to clean heat. You'll see that it's really nice uh, systems that are being made available now. And um, it's just where we all need to head as a community. So we've been talking with uh, Susan Connor about the Capital Region Green Energy Hub. She's also with the Affordable Housing Partnership. And this has been Mark Dunley for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Affordable housing is such an important topic. I heard mention of TAP and um, there's plenty more on affordable housing. And sometimes we have some housing coverage at our website, mediasanctuary.org. Moving right along to our second segment. On Saturday, December 30th, 2022, roaming labor correspondent Willie Terry attended the swearing-in ceremony of Troy City Council man for District 2, Stephen Figueroa, District Attorney Matt Pat, Mary Pat Donnelly, and Troy Court Judge Ann Coonrad and Mark Pelosi. The ceremony occurred at the Rensselaer County Courthouse, 82nd Street in Troy, New York. County surrogate court judge, Judge Morgan. Sorry. Elected officials, State Assembly Member John T. McDonald III, State Senate Elect Jake Ash, Troy City Mayor Patrick Mann, Rensselaer County County Clerk Frank Marola, Troy City Police Chief Dan DeWolf, Rensselaer County Under Sheriff T.J. Higgins, Troy City Council Member Sue Steele, North Greenwich Town Board Member Jack Rogers. Rensselaer County Legislators, Carol Weaver and Mark Fleming, Ellen Painberg, E.P. Streambush Town Clerk, Mike Meisner, City of Rensselaer Treasurer, Tom Grant, Rensselaer County Legislator. Again, my apologies if I missed anybody. At this time, I recognize Troy City Court Judge Ann Coonrod for the purpose of administering the oath of office to Troy City Council Member Stephen Figueroa.
morning, everyone. There's a lot of people here. Like Mark said, I like speeches, but a lot of people get a little nervous, get the bubble guts. But first and foremost, I would like to thank um, everyone for their support. Um, uh, Ed, uh, Jimmy, uh, my hat's goes off to Sue Steele. She played a major part in my campaign. Uh, this was a very, very long journey for those of you who know, but we kept fighting, right? The people kept fighting. Um, we joined together and this is what unity looks like when we get together and we get the job done. Uh, I would like to thank my brother, my mentor, Jerry Ford, uh, for being side and side with me, for mentoring me during this process, uh, Board of Elections, and everybody that plays a major part. But again, Sue Steele, I, my hat goes off to her. Uh, Carol Weaver, thank you so much for your support. Um, and everyone um, in, in the district too, right? There's a lot of work to be done. Um, not afraid to get the job done. Uh, we're gonna continue to work with the community. Um, continue to work on the issues um, in our community, right? So Detroit could be even greater. And um, again, my, my hat goes off to all the people that showed up to the polls. Um, this was a long journey, but a journey that we have uh, completed and we were successful. Um, and it feels an honor to be here today to be the first uh, Hispanic in that district to get elected. Um, to thank the, uh, the, the mayor uh, for supporting me, uh, for his administration, for his colleagues that have worked um, on, on my campaign and helping me and directing me, right? Because the first time around, it was like new to me and, you know, learning this experience was a great experience, uh, you know, learning the, the people, learning the issues, and um, I would like to appreciate the mayor for uh, believing in me and all the people that believed in me. And, and got me where I'm at today. Thank you so much, and I hope you guys have a great day. God bless. Congratulations, Stephen. This time I recognize State Supreme Court Justice John C. Egan Jr. for the purpose of administering the oath of office to Rensselaer County District Attorney Mary Pat Donald. Raise your right hand and repeat after me. I am Mary Pat Donald. I am Mary Pat Donald. Do solemnly swear. Do solemnly swear. That I will support and defend. That I will support and defend. The Constitution of the United States of America. Thank you for coming. Thank you for your patience while my family files back to their seats. Um, it's a really special day and I'm really honored to be here and it's so great to, to look out and see so many wonderful faces. Um, before we go further, I want to thank 
Judge John Egan, State Supreme Court Justice, for taking the time to swear me in today. It really means a lot to me. Some of you may know that he was my first boss when I started working for the Office of Court Administration back in 1998. And um, he taught me a lot, not just about the law, but I would say about how the job we do is so important and it's, it's more than just a job. It is a, um, a way of life to, to quest for justice and um, he was an instrumental part in, in teaching me that. But more importantly, Judge, I think what you taught me is balance. Even in my younger years when I didn't have a giant family, um, the focus was always on balance. Judge Egan has a large family too. And, and to remember that we work hard, but we need to make time for ourselves. Take those vacations, spend time, and pay attention to your family. So I try to do that, and that is a really important lesson that I learned from him. I'm forever grateful. I'd also like to thank Michael Maniscalchi, Rensselaer County Democratic Committee Chair, and the committee itself for putting their trust in me. Not just in 2018, when I decided that I wanted to try to do this, but also again, uh, when I was able to run last year um, unopposed, which was a beautiful thing. Um, <laughs> and I'll just leave that there. But uh, I, I couldn't do it without the committee, and I couldn't do it without Mike. He trusted in me, he guided me, and uh, I'm very, very thankful for that. I need to thank my family, my mom and dad. My dad, who obviously isn't here, but my mom is. <laughs> and um, they both taught me very much about the importance of public service. Um, they really taught me to think about where I am in life and what I can do to help other people. And I did not expect to be emotional about that at all. Um, but I'm so proud of both of them, and I'm so proud of what, what they have done for me. Uh, my dad was a cop and he was so tough, but what I know and what a lot of you in the audience know is how much he truly cared for people and that he did that job because he cared. And many a night, my mom and I saw him come home with tears in his eyes, thinking about what had happened to a victim or a child at, at the hands of, of someone that wanted to do evil. And he really instilled in me a passion to, to uh, be a part of the criminal justice system. Yeah, this is Willie Terry of Roman Labor Corps, for the Hustle Mohawk Network. And uh, today I'm down here at the Port uh, City Court where they just had an uh, induction ceremony for the people who uh, got elected for office in the last election. Some of those people were, uh, the oath of office was given to Rensselaer County District Attorney, Mary Pat Donnelly. The Oval Office was given to Troy City Court Judge Ann Lee Conran, and the Oval Office was given to Troy City Court Judge Mark Pelosi. And the last person the Oval Office was given to is our own uh, North Troy City Council District 2, Stephen Figueroa. So I have my guest Stephen. Uh, Councilman Steve Figueroa. How you doing, Steve? Good, thank you. All right. So, Steve, give me your thoughts and feelings of just being sworn in as city council. I mean, it feels good. Um, you know, the people believing in me, the support of the people in the community, the support of uh, District 2, is, it, it feels great. And also to make history and being the first uh, Hispanic Latino to uh, take office in District 2. So what do District 
to have to look forward to from city council. A hardworking councilman, you know, we're going to definitely attack the issues in the city of Troy. Um, you know, we cover from Hoosick Street all the way to 111. So definitely, uh, you know, making sure that the people of Troy is being heard and making sure that these issues that are going on in, the, in my district are being taken care of and, you know, making sure Troy is safe for everyone. Thank, thank you, Steve. Thank Steve Figueroa, City Councilman elect. Hmm. Local politics is where we can really make a change. We recently had Stephen Figueroa at the uh, Oakwood Community Center um, and on this program at Hudson Mohawk Magazine. We also have a series, Election Watch, which we will again revive this year so that we can stay up to date with what is going on in the local area. And for those just tuning in, I'm Keelan McPherson. I'm Cena Bazila Hickey. You are listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Hudson Mohawk Radio Network on WOOCLP 105.3 FM Troy, WOOGLP 92.7 FM Troy, WOOSLP 98.9 FM Schenectady, WOOALP 106.9 FM Albany, and streaming online at mediasanctuary.org. This program comes from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York. If you like what you hear, you can support this program by telling a friend. Find today's stories and more at mediasanctuary.org. H. Bosch Jr. can unfortunately not be with us today. Thursdays is H. Bosch Jr. Day. And um, Triple E's, we're looking back into the archives with the uh, Adam Zaranko of the Albany Land Bank Corporation. And here's that story. Hello again, everyone. This is H. Bosch Jr. with my co-host, Michelle Masurgian. Welcome to the show, Triple E's, Education, Empowerment, Entrepreneurship. Today's guest is Adam Sorinko, Executive Director of the Albany Land Bank. This is part one of a two-part segment. Welcome, Adam. How you doing? I'm fine. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to, uh, to talk today. Well, thanks so much for stopping by. We appreciate you. So um, let me go right into it. Um, how did the land bank get its start in Albany? Sure. So um, we were formed in uh, 2014, and we were formed under a state law that came into effect um, in 2011 or 2012, which basically gave um, what's known as foreclosing governmental units or certain levels of government that perform tax foreclosures um, special authority to create what are called land banks. And in the state of New York, land banks are not-for-profit corporations that are granted special powers by state law that give us the tools that we need to, to reclaim vacant and abandoned properties. And the reason we were formed was um, largely coming out of the 2008 foreclosure crisis. Uh, governments found themselves overwhelmed and so did communities with high numbers of vacant and abandoned properties. And uh, local governments, for all of the good work they try to do, don't, aren't equipped with the tools needed to deal with large numbers of tax foreclosed properties. That's okay. kind of how we got our start. Okay, and um, pardon me, tell us a little bit about your history. Where you from, your background? Sure. So I, uh, I was raised in the capital region. I, I was, grew up largely in the town of uh, Bethlehem. Okay. And, uh, 518, 518 area. 518 guy, yep, yep, okay. 518. And uh, went to... I still am. I'm back here now, and it's in the same town I grew up in. 
and um, I, I was I'm an urban planner by by background, professional education, and I actually worked in the city of New York for New York City government for about a decade in different capacities, and then decided to move. Well, got married, decided to settle down, have children, um, moved back to my hometown, and 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 saw this opportunity online to lead a land bank, which are new entities at the time, especially and. Um, here I am four and a half years later, we're one of the largest and most active in, in the Eastern United States. Great, great. Uh, where'd you go to high school at real quick, Adam? Uh, I went to Bethlehem Central High School. Okay, all right. Yep. So yep. now, um, what is the primary goal of the Albany Land Bank? Sure, so we're actually, uh, we're actually a countywide land bank because Albany okay. County forecloses on uh, properties that, that go into property foreclosure for non-payment of taxes. And that includes the city of Albany, which is where most people are familiar with us because that's where most of our properties are located. But we work in all 19 municipalities in the county. So we actually deal with vacant uh, and abandoned or foreclosed properties in suburbs, um, Watervliet, Cohoes, uh, all the way out to the hill towns of like Burn, Knox, and Westerlo. And so um, as a countywide entity, we're tasked with uh, basically using the special powers that land banks are granted to, to take these properties and we do three things. We acquire these properties, so we take them into our ownership, so they're not just sitting out there uh, rotting away or, or getting illegal dumping or not being maintained. Two is we do whatever we need to do to either maintain them, secure them, improve them, make them marketable. Sometimes that's cleaning them out, cleaning them up, um, shoveling the snow on the sidewalks if it's in the cities to make, you know, so we're good neighbors. And then step three is we try to find ways to respons what we say to responsibly dispose of these properties, which means do a real uh, fair and inclusive and deliberate decision-making process on, on where these properties are going, looking at who's buying them, what's the plan for the property, does the buyer have the ability to execute that plan if they're selected, um, and really not just sell them to uh, whoever comes up and buys them from us, but make sure that they're successful outcomes for the neighborhood and for the buyers. So okay. that's just three steps, pretty straightforward approach to a very complex challenge. Good to know, good to know. So uh, my next question, um, does all land banks operate the same way? That's a great question. So no I'm a two great guy. I'm a great guy. <laughs> I'm getting to see that. These are great questions. So, uh, yeah. So, and this is so, a great. And this is a great show. <laughs> this I love it. So this. So, no. The answer is every land bank's a little different. So there's now 26 land banks in the state of New York, and and this okay. state originally allowed 10, and our land bank was one of the first 10 because they were new entities with a lot of power, frankly, for being a, a quasi-governmental. They were very successful out the gate. So the state increased the level to 20, then 25, and now actually 35 are allowed to be formed. So there's 26. They come in all different shapes and sizes and purpose in terms of mission because, you know, ours is countywide, but across the river in Troy, Troy has a city-specific land bank that really only focuses on um, some of the most challenged neighborhoods in the city of Troy. And then you go to the capital region land bank in, that serves uh, Amsterdam and Schenectady, and they're mm -hmm. focused on largely those two cities. And then you can go into Western New York where there is a land bank called Greater Mohawk Valley that serves four counties plus the cities of Utica and Rome as one big land wow. bank. And um, you know, it goes on from there, but, but many are countywide, although they may focus their, their work on a specific city within that county where there's the largest number of vacant properties. Like in our case, it's the city of Albany, mm -hmm. uh, in Onondaga County, it's the city of Syracuse, but we do work, um, 
we're really set up to tackle the problems that are unique to that specific geography or local government or community. Okay, so give me two programs you're really proud of, uh, uh, your okay. signature programs, because I'm okay. sure you got your hands in so many pots. So. <laughs> we, we, we try to because um, we, we try to be very creative. We pride ourselves on being very creative and innovative in the space that we work in because land banks are so new. Um, there's not a lot of playbook to look at or blueprint to follow. So we are really kind of blazing some of these pathways as we go. Oh, the way great. we do that is we use our special powers and authority to be more flexible than the old way of doing it didn't work out for all communities of just selling to the highest bidder attacks tax auction. So we have been very creative in looking at other cities across the U.S. to replicate what works there and also make our own programs. So I have three programs we're very proud of. I know you asked Let's for hear two, about it. But Let's I'll squeeze them into it. the time it would take me for two. So Okay, hold so on. Is, Drum roll, please. So here it goes. The first one's focused on um, vacant and abandoned lots. And so and we actually have, not a lot of people think of this, we get more vacant land in lots than we do buildings because um, because because it's just the nature of the business, but most people see the buildings because that's what more visual and they think we only deal with vacant buildings. We have a program called Spend a Little, Get a Lot that's designed to incentivize through all the different things we can dial in, local ownership of purchasing vacant land so people in the neighborhood can have more green space, more garden space, in some cases adjacent to their property, more parking space, and we do it in lots of different ways. It's on our website. We provide a, a closing credit. Um, we sell to renters. If you live there, if you've been renting for a while, you don't have to be a property owner. You just have to be invested in your neighborhood. And so that's a very unique program that has been pretty successful for us getting rid of lots. Um, I guess responsible disposing of lots that have been very challenging. The okay, second I have one. Is, okay, second. Okay, go ahead. Okay. No, you could. Sorry, did you have a question? Um, yeah, um, real quick then. I, no, no, I want you to answer those real quick, then I'll wrap up. Okay, right. so the second is called our EOP, or Equitable Ownership Program, and that's a first-time homebuyer program that's designed to address the, the, the gap between black and white home ownership rates in the city of Albany, especially, which are among the largest in the nation for cities our size, um, for lots of reasons that date back 100 plus years, redlining and uh, disinvestment and things like that. But we're trying to close that gap by by being more flexible and equitable. And so we provide a whole slew of resources, and including a scope of work to rehab the building, a construction mentor to help people go through the process. And we essentially cut the price of this property in half in support okay. of it, because it's more about the outcome. Uh, and then the last is Inclusive Neighborhoods, which is a partnership with the Albany Community Land Trust and the Land Bank, where we have a relationship where we get them properties um, in neighborhoods where they have trouble getting properties and a land trust basically just preserves affordability forever on any building that they own for families and individuals. So those so are real quick, They're all on our website. Great, 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 great. So real quick, just tell me real quick in a couple of words, how are all these uh, questions doing right? Or how are all of these programs doing right now? They all are uh, gaining traction. They all have room to grow. So check them out on our website and uh, sign up for our emails because we have different properties and different programs each month. Okay, great. Adam, we're going to take a break and come back with part two of a two-part segment. Um, remember this, watch your thoughts for they become your words. Watch your words for they become your actions. Watch your actions for they become your habits. And you better watch your habits for they become your character. Watch your character for it becomes your destiny. And I only want a destiny of love, happiness, and health and success. I love you.
God loves you and it ain't nothing you can do about it. Until next time, folks, don't hear about making a difference. You need to be about making a difference. This is Inez Bosch's baby boy, your overcoming adversity specialist, H. Bosch Jr., doing what I'm made to believe. Uh, for more triple, uh, this was a replay of an old segment. Part two is on our website with many, many more triple E interviews. And that our website is mediasanctuary.org and put in the search bar triple E's. It's been about 13 months since Miss Q was released from ICE custody at the Rensselaer County Jail. Miss Q has been detained again, and the community is calling to demand her release. We're joined now by Tanya Matos, Director of Advocacy and Policy at Envision Freedom Fund, formerly the Brooklyn Community Bail Fund, to tell us more about what's going on and the Friday action that is taking place. Welcome to Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Thank you so much for having me. What can you tell us about Miss Q's current situation and why is she once again in custody? Yes, thank you so much for for allowing me to talk about Miss Q and the action that we're having on tomorrow on Friday. So Miss Q, um, as many of you may remember, um, is a beloved partner, daughter, sister, and longtime New York State resident um, who fled from Ecuador as a child. And unfortunately, like you mentioned, um, she was she was. Um, she was re-detained by ICE during a regular ICE check-in. Um, ICE, the only thing that we've heard from ICE is them claiming that she's supposed to have been deported already um, and that she needs to be detained. Um, that is their only excuse and their only reason why they are they re-detained her. And so she's back in detention at Orange County Jail um, in Goshen, New York. So what we're doing now um, is we are putting together an action. Uh, this is the first of many actions to come, but we're uh, organizing an emergency phone zap directed to ICE, directed to the people in charge that uh, of her case, um, and to show them that the community stands together. And um, we're going to continue to call them and bother them, not let them, not let them um, off the hook for re-detaining her. Um, so. Yeah, and uh, we feel like we, she, Miss Q, um, um, has been re-detained also because of her activism uh, while being detained in the first time, um, where she spoke about the, about the conditions of her detainment. Um, she filed a civil rights claim and a federal torts claim act against ICE, um, and so we feel like this is also retaliation for her activism. And so, um, you know, her attorneys have been doing the best they can, but what really can move the needle for her case and have her be released is um, is a community support and outreach um, right now. And how frequently are activists targeted for being outspoken in cases of ICE, obviously others as well, but what have you seen in, in the ac ICE activism? In New York in particular, um, we see it um, we see it quite often, actually. Um, unfortunately, you know, uh, individuals feel inside of detention or who who um, are at risk for deportation. Uh, they feel like they um, they rather be out in the open and expose what is going on rather than be deported and have um, and have sort of what happened to them and all the abuses and conditions go fly under the radar. And so they become outspoken and they file claims with uh, attorneys and different organizations and uh, law schools. Um, eventually, 
most of them we have a lot of success um but then we're seeing recently that ice's form of retaliation is by rearresting them um and so that's very concerning to us because it is a violation of first amendment right to be to speak out about um the conditions that uh, these jails um hold people in um of course they're you know as you may remember miss q um had a had a um um, her leg was injured in ice and she was being denied medical care for that for those reasons and the conditions in the jail at Rensselaer County Jail was were horrific. So Miss Q is not the only one being held in ice custody. Darwin is. So can you tell us a little bit about his situation? Yes. So Darwin um Darwin is a New Jersey resident, um, so we're part of the Abolish ICE New York, New Jersey uh, coalition. Um, so Darwin is a longtime Newark resident. Um, he's currently held in detention and is at, is at imminent risk of deportation. Um, and so we are asking ICE to release him and grant him a stay of deportation. Um, he's fleeing his home country of Ecuador as well. Um, uh, and he faces persecution and death. Um, so we, um, uh, we, sometimes we work with law schools in order to um, to help their clients um, as, as sometimes the law is not enough and uh, to get somebody released. And so there, there are many times where we need community members to step up and make these calls, emails, you know, there are simple things that uh, people can do from their own home that can make all the difference for somebody's case. So these are valued community members, family members, supporters of the economy. And for listeners who don't know, what um, what rights do uh, non-American people in the U.S. have? So um, everybody, even if you're not a citizen uh, and you're undocumented um, living in the U.S., you have some basic rights. Um, um, living here in the United States, um, you know, first uh, you have all the amendment rights, but um, uh, but the but other than that, you know, there's not a lot we can do um, as far as exposing what's happening in the jails. What really is is um, is important is is that community members are aware and that they they're they they know and understand and hold their politicians and elected officials accountable and ICE accountable because it is a federal um, agency that we as 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 um, or many of us as, as citizens are able to hold ICE accountable to. So um, so as far as you know, having what what are the rights of undocumented people? There, there's basic rights that they have, um, but other than that, you know, there's obviously no right to work, no right to work legally. I'm sorry, um, no right to. And it varies uh, state by state too, right? Yes, yes, and it does vary state by state. Uh, though uh, having the right to work uh, for undocumented people um, is is a federal policy. So you know, all over the country, S statewide in New York, fortunately, recently passed a law that we're able to get um, state I identification. Um, you know, no access to health care unless somebody is pregnant or under the age of eighteen. Um, uh, and so uh, other than that, you know, we're able to file these lawsuits based on these, you know, amendment violations. Um, but other than that, yeah, so there's there's a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. What is the role of the Invasion Freedom Fund and what should listeners know about your organization? Yeah, so Envision Freedom Fund is a nonprofit um, uh, formerly known as Brooklyn Community Bail Fund. So what we really are um, is an advocacy and um 
and a bail and bond uh, organization. Um, so what we do is as a nonprofit, uh, we started off paying for people's bail um, for free. We didn't expect anyone to pay us back or anything like that. Um, so we would pay for folks that were arrested. Uh, we um, uh, we we if, if they contacted us, we were able to pay for their for their bail. Uh, we're since then we have now um, uh, we stopped paying bail for folks, but now we're uh, paying for bonds, so immigration bond for people. Um, so if they're able to um, actually get an immigration bond amount from a judge, um, you know they can range from five thousand to twenty thousand, thirty thousand dollars a bond. So you know I don't know how many people have that laying around, uh, but we're able to pay for people to get out of detention. Um, at that point. So that's our, that's our, um, that's our work that we're doing right now. Right. And so this phone zap action is taking place on Friday, January 6th. What exactly is the phone zap action? And uh, is it over Zoom? Is it over phone? What can you tell us about it? Sure. So an emergency phone zap is uh, basically uh, people uh, log in, via Zoom, um, we explain a little bit about the case. Um, people can either use their phone, their cell phone, or their email to contact an official. Uh, we will have a script as, as well as contact information for people to follow up. Um, you can do it at that time or follow up um, at a later time. Uh, it, you know, but it's, it's an opportunity for all of us to contact these individuals and kind of flood their phone lines all together and do with this action all together. So participants can take place anytime between 12 and 1 uh, Eastern time. Doesn't need to be the whole hour, right? Just during any yeah. of that time. Mm -hmm. It doesn't need to be the whole hour, but you do need to register if you want to join us. It can be for 15 minutes or half an hour. So our bit.ly uh, link is bit.ly forward slash freedomall2023. And we'll again have that link in the description of uh, this segment on our website, mediasanctuary.org. And why are these, uh, and I think we just have one minute left, um, why are these types of actions effective? Yeah, they're extremely effective because it shows ICE that this individual has community support. And so they, um, as we have a Democratic president, um, even under a, Republic, a Republican president, um, the the um, the boss of ICE is President Biden. And so he doesn't want to look bad in front of the immigrant community that we're holding somebody that the community adores and loves. So we are asking community members to show up and to show Democrats, ICE, federal government that we are behind these individuals. Great. Thank you so much, Tanya Mantos, Director of Advocacy and Policy at the Envision Freedom Fund for joining us tonight. We appreciate you. We really appreciate you joining us. Yes, thank you. Oh, looking for a fun or beautiful book for your young readers? Carol Roberts, Young People's Service Librarians at Troy Public Library, gives you some suggestions for books for this month. Hi, with winter holidays coming up or maybe New Year's resolutions uh, uh, to read more, listeners may be looking for some ideas of books for kids. So I'm talking with Carol Roberts, Young People Services Librarian at Troy Public Library, who has some suggestions for some winter books. Carol, what do you have for us today? Hi, Bria. Um, thanks for having me. I've got a few new books that we have, and uh, I'm going to start with my favorite. 
This is called Otter, O-D-D-E-R, and it's by Catherine Applegate. Um, and she also wrote The One and Only Ivan. And what's cool about this um, book is that it talks, well, it's it written in verse, and it's also from the perspective of the animals, which I always love. And it's about a little otter who ends up at um, Monterey Bay Aquarium, and she was rescued when she was a, um, a little tot, and then at some point um, she comes back again after an injury. And uh, there's also a perspective of a shark, and uh, that's where it gets kind of suspenseful. So here's this fun tale that puts you in the mind of the animals. I'm just going to read a little bit of it. And uh, this is called The Queen of Play. Nobody plays like Otter plays. Nobody has her moves. She loves to roughhouse, can be pushy and eager, too unruly for some. But watching her work the water is a joy. She doesn't just swim to the bottom. She dive bombs. She doesn't just somersault. She triple donuts. She doesn't just ride the waves. She makes them. The shark, meanwhile, is closer to the mouth of the sloth, still hunting a soundless ocean ghost. He can eat hugely, gorge, then go for days unfed. But a sea otter is always eating. Luckily, her belly doubles as a dinner table. Without the swaddling blubber of a seal or whale, she must consume a quarter of her weight each day. Abalones and sea urchins, octopuses and sea stars, mussels and crabs and clams, like a carb-loading marathoner, like a hummingbird sipping nectar, dawn to dusk. A swaddling? something. I love the, the wording in, in that piece. Thank you so much. And the next book? This is, um, oh, let me tell you, the, uh, the otter would be ideal for, I would say, ages 8 to 12. And now let's continue with The Aquanaut by Dan Santat who was also um, a Caldecott medalist, which means he had won previously the, the greatest prize. And that's Aquanaut, A-Q-U-A-N-A-U-T. He had won the, um, the largest prize in children's literature for illustration, which is no small thing. Um, anyhow, this gothic, or graphic, graphic novel um, is about um, a young girl, and her father is a scientist, who unfortunately dies at sea. He's a marine biologist, and uh, his brother, who is his partner in running um, this place called Aqualand, and the brother takes on um, the mission of, of the deceased captain, and it's actually about these creatures that come back in the form of an aquanaut, and uh, they think it's a mysterious diver, when in fact it's a trio of silly creatures, it's humorous, and uh, they're trying to get a message to the daughter sent from her father. And so it's a fun tale. There are underwater scenes which are done in kind of a, a greenish blue, so they sort of stand out that way in contrast to the above water scenes which are very colorful. And 
And it has sort of a Calvin and Hobbes look to it with three or four panels per page in blocked into to frames, uh, big faces ma- making noises. It looks very cool. It's a fun book, and it's for ages 8 to 11. And uh, it's, uh, it's a big one. It's a, it's a substantial um, amount of pages, but of course a lot of those are just... Um, images, which will move the tale along, of course. Terrific. So we've got an otter, we've got an underwater aquanaut. What's next? I have the Science Spellbook Magical Experiments for Kids, and this is written by Cara Florence. This would be appropriate, I would say, for ages 7 and up grades two to five. Um, It's great for engaging children's sense of wonder. Um, And so the theme of magic just draws the children in, but then um, the book, or rather the author goes in and she explains the science underneath. So for example, would you call something a liquid mixture or an elixir of enlightenment? Um, So the magical premise as I said, it guides, uh, guides children towards um, the information, and then it explains um, different um, principles in science, for example, forces. Okay, so that would be like gravity. Um, and then pH, which is referred to as infusions, things like disappearing ink. There's 25 experiments, really fun, Um, And you can even prepare a meal that glows under a black light, which I find really exciting. Somehow I envision it glowing inside one's stomach and lighting up your skin. Well, it might. There's there's a recipe for um, a tea that turns blue in the presence of ultraviolet light. And, of course, with pH, they're talking about things like um, indicators, so sort of like, you know, when you would do a litmus test on something and, uh, you know, the liquid would change a substance from blue to pink or vice versa. Well, that sounds like there could be some fun holiday activities to do with kids. Yes, very much so. Um, and again, uh, you, I should mention that probably kids want to do that with a grown-up um, just in case. I mean, some of them, the experiments may call for boiling water, things like that. So just to be on the safe side. And what age group did you say that would be for? Um, Ages seven and up. Great. And oh, another beautifully illustrated book. This is called Snow Horses, A First Night Story. And this is by the late Patricia McLaughlin, who uh, was a Newbery winner. And uh, the illustrator, the illustrator for this book was a Caldecott honor-winning artist, um, Misha Archer. And this is a first-night story. And this is an outsized book, maybe 14 by 14, 15 by 15, large. But, oh, I'm getting cold looking at these double-page spread of snow background with beautiful illustrated trees. And the way the text um, is on the page, it's sort of it's sort of set up as if it were um, in verse. 
For example, snow falling all day, all night, drifting over meadows and gardens and roads. The large and gentle Percheron horses, Tim and Tom, midnight black, are excited. They wait patiently in their barn. The snow-covered sheep run into the warm barn, complaining in sheep talk. But Tim and Tom love winter. They love the snow. They love, they know the large sleighs outside. I'm coming, snow horses, calls their driver, Jenny. Sheep talk, would that be bah humbug? Um, I imagine the bah, the humbug part, I can't, I can't attest to, but, uh, the illustrations are lovely. Um, they kind of look like fabric almost, sort of a collage effect. Um, but I believe, um, yes, you know, it's even just paper, although it, it really does look like fabric. Um, and uh, you get the sense of the quiet that you have on a snowy night. Um, so it looks like almost all the illustrations are two-page spreads which is really nice and makes it, it gives a lot more room for detail. Right. It, it gives me more room for detail, but it also um, draws you in so you feel like you're, you're actually there. So you're a little less removed. Um, Tim and Tom pull the sleigh past the library with a light in every window, across the old stone bridge, along the icy river, up the hill and down the hill, where in every window of every house there are little lights the town sparkles. And if you look at, again, at these brilliant um, multiple shades of blue um, and the coolness of it, you can see, for example, in the stars, they really look like um, paper cutouts. Thank you. So those are four beautiful books for kids. Otter, O-D-D-E-R, Aquanaut, Science Spell Book, and Snow Horses. Thank you to Carol Roberts from Troy Public Library Young People's Services Department. This is Bria Barthel for Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Thanks a lot, Carol. Thank you, Bria. And that is our book correspondent, Bria Barthel. For more great book suggestions, go to our website, mediasanctuary.org, and put in our search bar, Book Picks. And always continue listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine for future updates for more book picks. For those, that's our show. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. I'm Kaylin McPherson. And I'm Sina Pazila Hickey. Watching the excellent Kayla McPherson doing some engineering over here. Ooh. Other volunteers to the show, uh, Mark Dunley, Willie Terry, H. Bosch Jr., Eileen, who helped help set up the interview with Tanya Matos, and of course, my co-host. This program covers stories of social and environmental justice produced by the community for the community and is supported by independent donations. That is real grassroots media here. And if you value independent media, consider a gift of a monthly donation as a sanctuary sustainer by going to mediasanctuary.org. We want to hear from you. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Media Sanctuary. Or send us an email to hmm at mediasanctuary.org. Tune in weekdays at 7 a.m., 9 a.m., and 6 p.m. to hear local news or stream Sanctuary Radio at mediasanctuary.org. Full episodes and individual stories are available on demand on our website and on your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you listening. Radio is not dying, but it continues to grow. Until next time, folks. <laughs>